if this is your first time with us, uh, welcome. Um, we uh, take the Bible very seriously here at Mosaic Church, so we'll be preaching through this book. We believe this is the way that God speaks and feeds his people. And so we've been working through a series uh, through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I've entitled it, uh, The Way of Paradox, Following the Right-Side-Up King in an Upside-Down World. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we'll, we'll have the words up as I, as I read through the text. Um, but I would encourage you to, to bring one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we've got one to give to you. Uh, they're on the table outside the doors there, although I have been told that you, you need a microscope to read the, the, the type font in there. So apologize about that. Purchase those without looking at them. But nonetheless, it's, it's yours to keep, uh, and we would encourage you to bring it back. Uh, but today we are uh, looking at a, a passage in, in Mark's gospel. We're going to actually skip to, to chapter 4. So last week we were in chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be working our way through this series uh, pretty rapidly. It's kind of the way Mark's gospel uh, flows. It's a very fast gospel. And so today we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 35 and going down through verse uh, 41. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to read the, 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 the passage for us, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll hear God's word preached. So let's, uh, let's hear God's word. On that day, when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, uh, said to them, that's the followers, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's ask God for his help as we hear his word uh, preached this morning. Father in heaven, the last song we sang, Lord, I need you, is oh so true of us, Lord. Uh, our hearts are dark, our, our minds are... Um, unbelieving it at many times. And so, Lord, we pray now that you, would, that you would grasp our attention, that you would show us your word and that you would make it clear to us, that you'd make it relevant to us and that you would show us Jesus in it. And so, Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of every heart in this room would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Had a unique opportunity this, uh, this week. I kind of stumble upon things. Sorry, I'm going to turn my clock on so I know how long I'm talking. I kind of stumble upon things occasionally. I uh, stumbled upon a rare opportunity this, this, uh, this week to have lunch. I was invited to a lunch at a local church. And uh, I thought, you know, if I got invited to this lunch, surely every other pastor in the city got invited to lunch. So I thought it would be a big crowd. But nonetheless, I show up, and, and there was only a handful of us at the table. There was probably, you know, five or six pastors. And, and there was a, a key speaker at the table, and it was a, a three star, retired three-star general, uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. That, that name may, or may not mean something to you. Um, it's kind of famous. He's, he spent 36 years in the, in the military, in the Army. He was, uh, he was a commander. He was part of the Black Hawk Down. If you've seen the movie, the Black, Black Hawk Down, uh, he was involved with that. So nonetheless, this man, he's a, he's a Bible-believing Christian. He loves the Lord. And he was out here. He was actually going to speak up in Santa Fe at the legislator. He was going to do a prayer breakfast and speak there. But I showed up at this lunch. And, you know, when you, when you get invited to a lunch with the three Star General, I knew he would be there. Uh, you know, you, you you pull out all your adult clothes, so I had you know I was had my tie on, and I was I was dressed the part, 
But nonetheless, I was overwhelmed by the company. I mean, I really was. I mean, I was clearly the youngest guy there. I didn't have much to contribute to the conversation. But nonetheless, here we are at lunch. And, and uh, getting to the point, the point is uh, he was telling this story. And he told us he had many stories to tell. And, you know, we were just, just falling on every word that came out of this man's lips, you know, just eating up what he was saying. And he told this story, and he told a story about... Um, a, a young man who was, um, who was, he was left to, di- to die. I don't remember the particulars of where he was. I'm sure he shared it, but he was, he was talking about his, his helpless situation, how he, was, he, he, he needed help, and he was calling in for a medivac. And this, this young man was calling in, medivac, medivac, we need a medivac here. We need help. And the dispatcher received the, the news, and, and apparently all of the, the, the helicopters at the time were, were out. And there was one helicopter in the hangar, and it was, it was grounded. And it was uh, for, for, for technical reasons. It wasn't, it wasn't allowed to be flown. And this dispatcher was speaking with, with the, the young pilot, and he said, do we have any medivac available? Can we go fly it? We need to help this man. He's, he's helpless. He needs help. He's going to die. And the, the young pilot said, no, we, we have none, sir. We have this, but it's, it's out of commission. We cannot, this is grounded. You cannot fly this plane. And the dispatcher continued to say, will it fly? Will it fly? And the young man was like, well, yes, it'll fly, but sir, you, the, the implications for you taking this grounded flight to this young man are, are beyond my understanding. And so he goes on to tell the story, and, and, and the th- at this point in the story, this man's weeping at the, at the lunch table. He's weeping. And so at this point in the story, I've come to the conclusion that, that the, third, the three-star general was the dispatcher who ended up taking this grounded helicopter to go rescue this man, and they rescued him. And so I assume that this was a grand story of him telling how he went and rescued this man, but the, the actually the very opposite was true. He was the helpless man. He was the man that needed rescue. And so... It, it, to me, here is this man of great clout and great stature and great power weeping at the fact that someone came to rescue him. And it really broke me at that lunch. I mean, you know, you, you kind of in life, you look for little moments that, that kind of, you know, obviously you're always looking to illustrate things in life. But, but what I saw in this man's tears was his power emptied out. What I saw was this man who has great stature in the military weeping at his helplessness and someone's willingness to come to rescue him. As we look at today's passage, we're going to see the exact same thing. We are going to see an extraordinary display of power. We've been talking about Jesus as the king of God's kingdom, and here he's going to show us that he is the true source of power that we all actually need. And so today as we look at this passage, here's the main main idea that I want to kind of communicate to you is that, that Jesus actually is our only true source of power in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our confusion, and in the midst of our doubt. He is the source of power for that. But even more than that, Jesus, we'll see in this passage, is actually the one who offers refuge from the oncoming storm of eternal justice that is headed towards us. And so today, here's how we're going to look at the passage. Um, some of you that have been here every week, thank you for being here every week. You know I'm a points preacher, so I'm, I'm kind of a plain preacher, so I usually have a couple points I want to make. And so I've got three today that we're going to look at today. We're going to look firstly at our need for power. Secondly, we're going to look at our source of power. And then thirdly, we're going to look at our response to power. So first, let's consider in verses uh, 35 down through 38, our need for power. Uh, today's passage, today's narrative is one of those kind of outrageous things that happen in the Bible that many people have a hard time believing. 
Now, many people look at us who have our Bibles open on our lap and we're looking at this passage and we believe that this is historical and accurate and really happened. They think these claims are too audacious. Like, how can you believe a story like that? That a man on a boat can calm a storm like that? This is, this is what the, the fiction myths are made of, right? Well, let me just kind of point out a few things that actually will hope, hopefully in your mind, begin to verify the validity of the Bible. And, and it's this at the very beginning is the very, the, the irrelevant details that Mark records. Um, now, what we know about this gospel is that Mark wrote it, but he got all of his information from Peter. Now, Peter, who was renamed because he was previously Simon, if you were here week one with us, Simon was one of those fishermen, right, that, that Jesus called to himself. Well, Simon gets a new name later, spoiler alert there, but he gets a new name. His name's Peter, you know, St. Peter, all that kind of stuff. So um, Peter here gives all of Mark his details that he's writing down. And he, he, he gives details that simply don't further the plot or develop the characters at all. He talks about how Jesus came as he was. He talks about how there were other boats around them. It talks about the time of day. It talks about all these seemingly irrelevant things. Why would you include that in the story? And, and the reason is this is because this story changed Peter, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had an impactful moment in your life, but if you have, you remember a lot of random details about it. And so as we look at this narrative and, and just the audacious claims that it makes, we will see that it's, it's verified and, and, and valid because of how much it impacted Peter and, and how it's recorded to us. So the setting here is, again, the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's a frequent setting in, in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel accounts and, and, and in Mark's account. The Sea of Galilee was the, the common context for these fishermen. This was, this was the waters that these men worked on. Okay. Now, in order to understand the scale and, and the weight of this, this storm, we have to understand a couple of things. Is One, the, the Sea of Galilee was about 700 feet below sea level. And about 30 miles north was Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon was about 9,200 uh, feet above sea level, right? So it's high. And so on this storm often were, were major storms. I mean, on the sea were major storms, squalls, and, and very, I mean, almost hurricane-like storms. But, but the, the, the really phenomenal part about this is, is that the, the men that are in this account that we're reading about, these were fishermen that knew these storms. I mean, they've been in these storms. And so to, the fact that they are overwhelmed by it, it means it was a, a really big one. Um, but for us to understand, and again, to begin to feel the weight and the depth of what's going on here, you have to understand how people in this culture and context understood the sea. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern context, I get it, we kind of get, get snobbish. We think we know un, un, everything and understand things, and these were simple-minded people. And, and on some levels, that, that may be true. They didn't have as much knowledge as we do. But at the same time, the sea in the ancient Near Eastern culture was this uncontrollable, chaotic, and uh, out-of-control uh, force. It was, it was a destructive force that could not be stopped except for one person alone. God alone could stop storms. And that was the understanding that these men would have had getting into this boat and experiencing this storm, that only God could stop a storm, particularly a storm like this. And so as the, the narrative continues, we see these men are overwhelmed by this storm, and what is Jesus doing? sleeping. Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. Um, I want us to, again, we try to put ourselves in these settings so that we can draw relevance to our own lives, but I want us to begin to feel the sense of need that these men had in the midst of this storm. They're on a boat. 
They're with Jesus who's doing some amazing and powerful things, yet here he sits, here he lays sleeping. And these men have a deep sense that they are bound to, to doom. They're, they're, they have no hope. They begin to enter this hopeless stage. Here's how I want to connect a couple things to our own lives. We basically have a couple of ways of looking at our world. One way is that of agnosticism or atheism or, or maybe even just some broad deism that thinks maybe there's a God out there. And that worldview tells us this, that this world is an uncontrollable storm. It's chaotic, it's uncontrollable, it's destructive, and our role in it is simply to sustain ourselves in it in order to make life as comfortable as possible, to avoid ultimate and final destruction. So we just do everything we can to put ourselves in circumstances where the storm doesn't affect us too much. By and large, that's how our world lives, right? You, you live to make enough money so you're comfortable and you, you do all the right things so you can avoid bad things. And, and that's kind of, that's just a general, very, bl just a blah worldview in my mind. The, uh, the other worldview, and, and I'm going to suggest that for us today, is that not that this world is a storm, but that Jesus is the king of the storm. And so if we believe that Jesus is the king of the storm, we see things that seem uncontrollable. We see darkness and evil and brokenness rampant out there and in here, but we believe that Jesus is, controlled, is, is controller over it. If you hold to this worldview, if you will buy into this, you will know one thing, that there are many things in this world that can crush you and will hurt you, but you will never be consumed by them. You will never be destroyed by the chaos and the storm that is in our lives. And what I see, and here's kind of where I want to draw this point in and help us to see our need for it, what I see in the men's cry out to Jesus is what I think is in your heart and what's in my heart. Listen to what they said to Jesus. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? God, don't you care that I'm going through this? God, are you unaware of my circumstances? Where are you in this? You feel that tension? You see, here's, here's the application for us. That the perfect place of rest is in the perfect plan of God. The perfect place of rest is in the perfect plan of God, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing. That's why he could rest in a storm like this. is because he knew he was abiding in the perfect will of God. And so that's where Jesus was, and that's where Jesus wants us to be. Do you want sleep like you've never had before? Know that Jesus is the king of the storm. Do you want to know that you will never be crushed or ultimately destroyed by the storms of life? Know that Jesus is the king of the storm. Here's the way of paradox that we're going to see as we work through this passage, and it's this. Jesus is telling us, I do allow people that I love to go through storms, but don't worry. I've got this. That's what he's teaching us. He does allow people that he loves to go through storms, but don't worry. He's got this. That's our need for power. Secondly, and a little briefer, is, is um, in verse 39, we're going to look at our source of power. We've got two young boys. We've got a, a six-year-old on Thursday coming up, turning six this week, and a four-year-old. And we've had very little success parenting. I'm just going to be just completely honest here. Listen, we don't have it all together. I know you, you, some of you have seen our kids at, at church, and they're sweet and kind, but I promise you that's not them in their totality. Um, and we have figured out very few things. But there is one thing, and I will go into boast mode just for a moment, that we did figure out. And in fact, we learned this from somebody else. Uh, we had some friends uh, that, that put this into practice, and it worked for them. So I'm like, hey, it works for them. Let's try it. And, and it did. Um, so when your kids are really little, 
little, I don't remember ages, maybe, you know, one in three, and they're beginning that exploration mode, and they'll walk anywhere, and they don't understand their circumstances around them. They'll go out into the street, the parking lot, whatever. Well, we were experiencing that, and we began to freak out, like, how are we going to get these guys under control? And this, this young family used the term, too far. They would say when they saw their kids, you know, wandering out, they would just yell out, too far, and the kids knew to stop. And so I began implementing that, and it, it, it worked. I don't know why, um, but it did. Our, our boys really replied to that command really well. So when they were out and were, you know, were in conversations with people and they were out wondering, if I could just yell out just too far, I didn't have to say their name, it actually worked. They would, they would be compliant. They would uh, listen uh, to the authority of my words. And, and really what we see in Jesus' stilling of the storm is, is just that that Jesus speaks to this storm like a father speaks to wayward children, right? I mean, it's a, it's a two-word rebuke. Peace, be still. It's, it's one word in Greek. Peace, be still, and the storm obeys him. It's compliant. It utterly submits to his authority. And so we see that because Jesus' words hold authority, the storm's compliant. Um, the pure authority of Jesus' words are... They, they are mind-blowing. I, 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 you know, I have the privilege of, of sitting under the word all week and preparing for this, but I mean, just for a moment, try to grasp this, that because Jesus can stay to a storm, stop, and it does, who he's showing himself to be is something entirely different whom, who the men he was with thought him to be. Because do you recall in Genesis chapter 1 how God started the world? He spoke to it. The pure and raw authority of his words and things came to be. In the beginning, there were the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was. God spoke every day into existence. And creation was compliant to his authority. Nothing less is happening here. The God of Genesis 1 is standing in this boat with these men. The God who cried out creation into existence now tells storms not only to stop, but to still. Have you ever been in water that's rough? It doesn't still for hours on end. The text tells us not only did the storm stop, but the water stilled. There is none like this. The God of Genesis is in Mark's gospel in this boat. And if that's true... That is simply astonishing because what Jesus is showing us is not that just that he has authority. It's not just that he has power. Jesus is authority. And Jesus is power. And when we begin to believe that, that change our paradigm for thinking about Jesus in all new ways. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, he must be reckoned with. Um, I mentioned this, if you've been here, again, if you, sometimes I'll repeat some things, so if you come to church every week, you might pick up, but I mentioned that I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia to our children, and in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, one of my favorite parts, they're all my favorite parts when I mention them in a sermon, but one of my favorite parts is when uh, Mr. Beaver is describing Aslan, the lion, to the children. And because these children have heard about Aslan, they've, they've known that he's on the move and they, they, they've heard a lot about him, but they haven't encountered him. They don't know about him. And one of the children, I forget which one it is, but one of the children asks Mr. Beaver and they say, is he safe? Is Aslan safe? And the response of Mr. Beaver is this, safe? 
Who told you he was safe? Aslan is not safe, but he is good. Aslan is not safe, but he's good. That's the Jesus we see on this boat in Mark's gospel. He's not a safe God. He can calm and still stores, storms on command. But we'll see that he's a good God, that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he extends mercy to those who need it most. Jesus is not safe, but Jesus is good. He's the source of power that you need. He is. Without Jesus, you are not only helpless, all of us are helpless, but without Jesus, you are also hopeless. And that's the difference between these uh, believers and these followers and where they're headed is, is that they are being introduced to Jesus' power, which ultimately introduces them to lasting hope. That without Jesus, there is great hopelessness, but because Jesus is the king of the storm, it is his to handle. So that's the source of power in verse 39. But let's, let's conclude by looking at our response um, to power in verses 40 to 41. Uh, I continue to be amazed at um, some of the things that I, in life, um, go without noticing. Right? The, you know, the, the common phrase is um, familiarity breeds contempt. You might have heard that before. A lot of people use that type of, of language. And so when you become familiar with a setting, you just kind of overlook some of the details. And when I was thinking about how Jesus is, is not safe, but he is good, I began to think about the, the walls of my house. Um, the walls in my house hide something from me that I don't see every day that is not safe. Uh, behind the walls in my house and every building are high-voltage wires, right? They are... It, when exposed to them, they can be extremely dangerous. And so that's what walls do. They protect us from the danger that lies behind them, right? And I think some of us have become so familiar, perhaps, with Christianity or with a um, kind of a, a coddled Jesus who's like, you know, he's just this Swedish guy who walks on be beaches with long curly hair and he's, he's really soft and he's a little effeminate. You know, we've kind of been accustomed to that Jesus that we think he's so safe that, that it changes the way we view Jesus. But, but he um, is showing us that he's, he's powerful, yes, behind the walls. He's, he's voltage. Yes, he is. But he's also safe. He also protects us. He also gives us refuge. You see, without Jesus in this situation and in, and in your life, the storms are yours to handle. And these men came to an end of themselves. They looked at the storm around them. Yes, it was a storm, a physical storm. And they saw their helplessness. And they began to reach towards hopelessness. But today, Jesus becomes most powerful uh, to us in this way when he becomes less manageable to us. Because we make Jesus manageable, we try to keep him at an arm's length. We try to keep him in that safe area, right? And so what these men were coming to the realization was is that this God who was standing in their boat could not be controlled. It could not be manipulated. He could not be managed. And that in turn made these followers very fearful. Look at the way the text reads. Their response in verse 40. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid have you still no faith? You can almost feel the palpability of the fear in the air. They were in a storm, and now the waters are like glass. And here stands Jesus. The tension is, is fairly thick, and Jesus draws out this connection between fear and faith. Right? 
Uh, it's a very common connection made in the Bible. If you've read any of the Old Testament, it, it frequently talks about the fear of the Lord. In fact, in our psalm today, it talked about the fear of the Lord and what it means to be fearful and humbled before God. And so what I think is happening to these men, and I hope happens to us, is that when Jesus becomes less manageable in our lives, we become healthy, fearful of the Lord in his presence, but in a way that shows us that he's a God who takes care of us and provides refuge for us. Here's the connection between fear and faith that Jesus is making. It's in the question, why are you so afraid? And then he says, do you still not have faith? In other words, the, another way that you could interpret this verse is, where's your faith gone? And what Jesus is not doing is he's not connecting this, look at who I am, now muster up faith in order to believe me. Rather, what he's doing is showing, look at who I am, I'm not only the giver of life, but I'm the giver of faith. And so Jesus is showing us through his authoritative power that faith is not an earned virtue, it's a given gift. It's not something that we can muster up on our own strength. If I would just believe more or believe better. What Jesus is doing is showing us that when our helplessness meets Jesus' power, hopelessness fades. If you're here today and you struggle to believe, if, you, if you're kind of wrestling with Christianity, you know, you're, you're checking out church, you've kind of been in and out, you, you struggle to believe Christianity, let me tell you this, stop trying to believe so hard. Would you do that? Like, honestly, stop trying within yourself to believe so hard. It's not going to be in your circumstances. It's not going to be some silver bullet sermon. It's not going to be anything that causes you to believe but Jesus. And so instead of looking within and exploring yourself for faith, do this. Look at Jesus and ask him to help you. Would you even today go to Jesus in prayer privately? It doesn't have to be some you know, special thing, but go to Jesus and say, help me believe, and then come back to church next Sunday. Would you do something like that? Because again, Jesus is meeting our hopelessness and our helplessness with his power. Um, the, perhaps the, the greatest connection, and, and here's how I'll conclude today, is how God is telling one grand story of redemption, that from cover to cover, the Bible is about God pursuing people that hate him. That from Genesis 3 onward, it is God's relentless pursuit of rebels. And he actually connects us to that grand, large, redemptive story in that little, simple act of Jesus asleep. Now, for all you, you know, churchgoers, you've been reading your Bible for years, you know where I'm headed here, but there was another man that was asleep on a boat in the Old Testament. His name was Jonah. Jonah, I'll kind of just summarize the story, Jonah was a man who rebelled against the will of God. He ran. He ran to the sea and he hopped on a boat to run away from what God was doing in his life. And that story continues and it sounds a lot like this one. There was a big group of fishermen. There was a great storm on the sea. The waves were crashing in. The boat was going down. And Jonah was underneath on the boat asleep. And in that story, it continues on. And these fishermen are trying to understand why, again, the, the, the god of the seas, the, this uncontrollable chaotic force, has brought this storm upon them. And they wake up Jonah, and their cry sounds a lot like these fishermen. The, the, the fishermen tell Jonah, don't you know why we're perishing? 
Or, or why are we perishing? Why are you asleep if we're in this storm and we're going to die? And Jonah knows exactly why the storm has fallen upon them because he's rebelled against God. And he says, listen, if you just get rid of me, if you throw me into the sea, the storm will stop. And they throw Jonah into the sea and the storm stops. And so if you're tracking with me, you think, well, Jesus didn't get thrown into the sea here, so that must be where the story ends. But actually, that's not true. The connection to Jonah and Jesus is so rich and so thick because just as Jonah was thrown off that boat into the sea, so also was Jesus. He was thrown into a greater sea. He was thrown into the sea and the storm of God's wrath. He was thrown into the storm of eternal justice. And in doing so, he satisfied and stilled the storm. So Jesus on the cross is Jonah in the sea. Jesus on the cross is Jonah satisfying the wrath of God. Jesus buried in the ground is Jonah buried in the whale, if you know the story. Jesus risen from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself is Jonah being spit up onto the shore. Do you see the typology and the connection? What God is doing here is he's showing us that he can not only calm the storms in your life, he absolutely can do that. I know we all have them. The storm of fear, the storm of doubt, the storm of uncertainty, the storm of relationships, jobs, friendships, all of those storms, but they pale in comparison to the eternal storm that Jesus satisfies for us. You see, a story like this enables us to stay calm inside. A story like this and the grand story of the gospel enables us to sleep well at night. Do you want that rest? Do you want the rest that Jesus offers us today? He offers it to us by showing us that a storm will never love you, but the king of the storm always loves you. And so today we have the opportunity to come tangibly and to see and to know and to feel and to experience how God has loved us perfectly in Jesus. Would you consider it an invitation today to begin believing in that and to begin walking with this king in our upside down world? Consider that an invitation today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we stand amazed at, at Jesus. He has made himself known very clearly in his authoritative word. We believe the Bible is authoritative, and so we sit under it. And as we have heard it read and, and now preached, God, I pray that you would show us how that you are the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the God who cried out creation into existence is the God who calms and stills storms, not only in our life, but you've done so um, eternally for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would press some of these truths home to us, that in the midst of our helplessness, in the midst of our hopelessness, that that Jesus' power would be made real to us and that we would cling to those promises that though they may crush us and they may hurt us, that they will never ultimately consume us. Lord, would that be true of us today? Would you do that? We pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen.